This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. Hey, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Man, it's... You know, I've been looking forward to asking you about this trip that you went on this summer after we got done fishing, and we haven't had a chance to do it, and it's November already. Well, you know, I, I have to go do that hunting. It's it's uh, <laughs> mandatory. Yeah, there's all the hunting that you've done, but the trip that you got to do was something exceptional. I mean, you got to go to a place that is, like, if you're a hunter or an angler, you know what Kodiak Island is. You've heard of it. It's famous, and it's famous because of, obviously, the humongous bears that it has, but also, I mean, just incredible hunting and fishing. If, if a person wants to go and get away from all the people, Kodiak is a place you can do that. You definitely can. Not the town of Kodiak, but in the uh, if you go to remote Kodiak and you actually get off, off the road system, as they say, and unfortunately, when I lived there, I never actually made it out to Kodiak to visit. You didn't? I didn't. Not once? Not one time did I make it out to Kodiak in the in the years I lived there. I, I hunted Brooks Range and some other spots and did some, you know, coastal and inland fishing right there on the peninsula. Kenai Peninsula is where I lived. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I never made the, the trek out to Kodiak, and I'd always wanted to be, be out there and go experience what Kodiak has to offer. And now that I've done it, hmm. I have some I have some reservations for sure. Uh, for people who don't know, Kodiak's like 90 miles wide and about 120, 140 miles long. It's out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, it's actually kind of almost in the Arctic Ocean. The Aleutian chain is what separates those two, but it's it's the first real big landmass that all those storms come and hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it can be uh, weather can be frightful on that island for sure. And the weather is fairly unpredictable from what I've heard, like from people that I know that have been there, that you could have sunshine and it's gorgeous. And then all of a sudden it's a downpour. It's a downpour. So, you know, I took the uh, the usual cohorts. If you've watched any of the other bow spider footage stuff, uh, Blue Creek Outdoors uh, was the company we hired to go with us. And my dad and brother tagged along on almost three weeks of Kodiak misery. Yeah. And so guys, I'm sure you're going to be listening to this podcast. We all want to say hello to you and hopefully you can come on and talk about it. I know we'd love to have Joe and Blue Creek back on the podcast again. If you guys haven't checked him out, go to Blue Creek Outdoors and see what they do with their video and all the other cool media stuff that they do. But Joe's been really enjoying going like with you to the Brooks Range and of course, you know, to Kodiak. So how did this trip get you know, planned? How did it come about? Whose brainchild was it to go suffer at Kodiak Island for three weeks? That's a, that's a, <laughs> to rewind that far and how, how, I guess I've been on $5 sheep hunts and I 
absolutely love sheep hunting and i if i can ever get a tag here in the lower 48 i'll i'll go and anybody out there listening they they got a sheep tag and want somebody to tag along and i just i love watching sheep i love glassing i love finding them because it's it is that next level above deer whitetail antelope elk it's that's remote it's rugged they're seclusive even the dull sheep is it's not your run-of-the-mill average oh i'm going to go on a say a wyoming doe hunt for for the afternoon out of the house no the the gear and the prep and the the anticipation i guess is what really leads up to a trip like this so my brother and i started conversing and my dad is the resident so we have that resident guide criteria which makes a the trip's a little more achievable for the average guy. Being that my dad guided my brother and I, we looked at what we wanted to do, and we all, since the last film, now have doll sheep on the ground. Mountain goat was the next kind of logical step. So we started planning in January about what we're going to do and where we're going to go and started looking at the state of Alaska and decided that Kodiak Island was a place that, well, goats are a little overpopulated there at the moment. And so you talk about mountain goats. I know a little while back you had talked about trying to go get one maybe up in the Teton area because they were exterminating them essentially from that area. I applied as a team and didn't get picked and that's that's fine but sure. I, I mean I was super excited. I was like I'll go I'll go do that. Because it was on the bucket list right? Yes. Like it's, it's one of the ones you had to knock off that list and and so Kodiak to be able to go up there and pursue it I know leading up to the trip, you and I talked about it quite a bit because we were up in Soldatna in that area doing some fishing. Um, I guess for you, like how excited were you when you actually got on the airplane to head to Kodiak? Kind of talk about what that was like. You know, the the level of anticipation and excitement when you've been planning for seven, eight months and, and agonizing over gear and details. And, you know, there's a whole nother level to filming a trip instead of just going on one. So making sure that, you know, I'm the ringleader, making sure everybody's there and everybody's got the gear and we've, we've made the right choices. There was, there's a little more pressure and weight on your shoulders than just, Hey, I'm showing up with my equipment and my tag and I'm going to go chase goats. Scale of, of 10. I was right out of 10, nine and a half, 10 <laughs> of, of anticipation, eager, ready to go. Yeah. I'm sure flying in, you had a lot on your mind. Obviously you've got the hunt, you've got probably just going through like an inventory of your brain of, did I get all the gear? Do I have everything I need? Am I really ready for this? You know, all those different thoughts. What was the thing that you were anticipating that maybe wasn't what you thought it would be when you landed? Like, and, and maybe a situation you ran into that was maybe a little different than you were expecting it would be. Well, having hunted several other of the mountain ranges in Alaska and having hunted on the Kenai Peninsula, I was pretty certain what I was in for. Uh, the, the terrain on Kodiak is <laughs> head and shoulders above other places I've hunted. I was not fully prepared for how difficult that terrain truly is. So what about it made it so difficult? So there's no trails, you know, there's no game trails and we got dropped off on a lake pretty much at sea level. And there's a main mountain range that runs east to west on the island and the backbone of that's like 4,500 feet. We were way, way, way out on the west end, almost, almost on the ocean. And so the summits that we were on was right around 2,500 feet, but you're starting at sea level and there's no trail. So that was to describe it is (laughs) you go through like four or five 
kind of fauna changes as you move up in elevation. And there's so much water. There's vegetation on top of vegetation on top of vegetation. And the alders are in places 12, 14 feet tall. <laughs> and you got to weed your way through them. And it's just, there's no... There's no direct path from A to B. You're, you you got to go A, C, Z, Y, and then back to B. Because as you're going through those alders, they're just grabbing and ripping everything off of you. And the ferns were, when we weren't in the alders, we were in the ferns, and the ferns were as high as chest high. So you're just, basically think about walking through a cornfield. You can't see what your next step is. And unlike a cornfield where it's pretty flat, there might be a three-foot hole in front of you. There might be... A two-foot step up. And so we all fell dozens of times. I fell one time with a loaded backpack with goat on my back. And I'm still honestly not quite recovered from that. Just a just a tweak, just a pop. But, you know, you got a 100-pound backpack. And I, I fell kind of on my side. And thankfully, I had my hiking pole. So kind of arrested my fall as I fell. But it was one of those falls where... <laughs> I landed and just kind of laid there for a little while. And guys behind me are like, are you okay? And I'm like, not sure yet. Just give me a minute. I can't breathe, but I'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, uh, we made three summit attempts and we, we achieved all three of those. And each time we harvested two animals. And so, you know, we've got my 67 year old father who had to be there and he was there and he was a, he was a trooper. I, I'm, was way harder than the sheep hunt that we filmed that he went on for sure. So having my brother and me, I mean, we we were the pack mules. Joe definitely stepped up and and carried his portion as well. He uh, he jokingly up there he said he's going to uh, add a retainer that uh, if he has to pack meat, it's x x dollars <laughs> per pound per mile. I'm with you, Joe. I would have charged him as well. <laughs> no, that's cool though. I mean, the train. I mean, I've seen it on film i've never had to walk through it thank goodness but it looks to me as if you know you you obviously don't know what's around the next corner so you probably had that in your mind too a little bit because there are some massive bears some of the biggest oh yeah but the bears were i mean they're they're definitely something to not take for granted not take lightly but honestly we went early enough in the year and we got some epic bear footage and we went to a, a certain spot and I'm I'm not going to burn the whole place. We we're it's a pretty small island, but we had 15 bears in the stretch of river right where we were at, and that was pretty awe-inspiring to be standing there 50, 20, 30, 70 yards from bears fishing, and you look up and down the river, and it's just loaded with bears. We did take a fishing pole, and we quickly went and caught two fish and and ran out of there so that we could go have fish for dinner. So we had a, we had one night we had a Alaska style surf and turf. We had mountain goat backstrap and fresh sockeye salmon. Mm, That sounds really good. So tell me how was mountain goat? I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I really, I mean, I've heard a bunch of people complain about it. I've had it and I think it's pretty good actually. I couldn't, I couldn't sit here and say, oh, it's like this or it's like that. I, it's, we, we cooked the tenderloin and the backstrap because we were running a little low on food. And so we were there actual in the field days, 16 days. It rained 11 of those 16 days. And not just a passing afternoon thunderstorm. It was mist, fog, sideways rain most of the day. And even if it's not 
torrential downpour, if it's just a light mist, when you're walking through chest-high ferns, <laughs> you might as well be in a downpour. So it was it was a little bit cold. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. It was uh, it was tough doing you know eight ten hour hikes with your camp on your back just before dark. We'd find a somewhat suitable spot and pitch your tent. And I would just take all my gear off, put the little bit of backpacking or the little bit of spare, you know, clothes I had. I had a spare puffy and spare puffy pants that honestly we were early enough. It was probably 60 degrees average, maybe 50 for the lows at night and getting up into 65 for the high during the day, which, you know, isn't warm, isn't cold. There was a couple days it got down into the upper 40s. But we were soaking wet. I mean, it was, it took me almost all night to get my clothes somewhat dry enough. And then, you know, I had great gaiters, had great boots, but you're taking so much water down the front of you. It just was running into the top of my gaiters, into the top of my boots. And so you just had just wet stuff. Just get up and put wet stuff on is, it's mentally very taxing. Yeah. But I bought a, a Hilleberg tent. And that was, I was, you know, it's a two-person tent I had to myself. And while it was a little extra weight, I think it's four and a half, almost five pounds trail weight. Having the room to kind of spread my gear out, get in there, get warmed up, get in my sleeping bag is, it was, I, I wouldn't want to be in that country without a tent for sure. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be wet. That's probably one of the more miserable things, especially when it's not especially warm, right? And it's not going to trans fur very well on film because it was so wet we didn't dare get the cameras out on the rainy days so really all the footage you're going to see from the film is going to be of four four actual days you know there's a little bit of bear footage a little bit of fly in fly out a little bit of cabin footage but we did do a couple things and this will help people but we uh we rented a cabin on the island and you can rent them and there's there's private ones and public ones and we also flew in a zodiac so we have a little four-man zodiac with a two and a half horsepower motor the bay we were staying in we could hunt both sides of it and so you know we could glass the other side and then we had capability to get over there it took two trips because there was five of us and the zodi was a it was definitely loaded when you had three guys at their hundred pound backpacks in there. It was a, we took on water a couple times when the, when the wind picked up and the, the, the waves were probably six, eight inches. But when you have three inches of freeboard on a boat, it's a little bit, little sketchy, but we did, we burned almost four gallons of gas in that boat. So we, we covered some miles in the boat before we covered miles on our feet and being able to spot the goats or spot the deer before we made our ascent, made it much more tolerable. You knew that at the end of this death march was what you're looking for. And we went that time of year, so we'd have nice weather. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, before we get into more about your trip, I want to talk about high mountain seasonings. If you guys haven't been out there and killing deer and elk and do, doing all your harvesting, I don't know what you've been doing, but if you do have those animals down and you've got your meat it's time to process, it's time to cure it. And High Mountain Seasonings has all the different supplies that you need to do that. And I know you've been doing quite a bit of it. Oh yeah, and I took, uh, I've done quite a bit. We did, you know, it recommends that you do two pounds to start with, a pound, two pounds. Well, I've got the uh, recipe dialed in. We did, 
like 25 pounds in a batch. We just did a whole, and it, the kids ate it up. We did pepperoni sticks and jerky shooter gun. And it's, we, uh, we changed up a little bit this year. Usually I do like 90, 10, 90% wild protein to 10% fat. I've got some extra pork that we need to get ate up. So I did like 60, 40. <laughs> yeah, the kids are really loving that. It's delicious, man. Oh, it's, it is good. We did take a, uh, a shaker and I left uh, the shaker in the cabin. It may or may not be against the rules. So hopefully I don't get in trouble, but I took <laughs> one of the mini uh, gourmet shakers from high mountain seasoning. And so awesome. we had a, uh, we had seasoned trout and game and I left that in the cabin for the, the next occupant. So if you ever go to that cabin and find some high mountain seasoning, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good stuff. I mean, and you know, lately we've been doing stuff with it too. We did some walleye, we did some trout, we've done some salmon. It's just good stuff. Bunch of great people that work there. So go to high mountain jerky's website. It's high mountain jerky.com or H I M T N jerky.com. Of course, High Mountain Seasonings has lots of other things. I'm using their fish brine pretty regularly to smoke up fish. Um, but yeah, they've got solutions for just about everything. And I saw on their socials the other day, they were doing a pastrami that looked really good. So I might have to try that one of these days. But Well, if we've, we've said it how many times on this podcast, but I don't really care what your protein source is. Freshwater, saltwater wild game domestic game they they have something to complement any of it for yeah, sure they're awesome so getting back to it so you said that you know obviously mountain goat was on the kind of the top of the list to get done but you also came home with blacktail and so you did some of that so talk a little bit about what it takes to prepare for a blacktail hunt so a typical kodiak island blacktail hunt is going to be november right now and there's going to be enough snow and weather that those deer are going to be rutting and they're going to be on the beach. So I actually do want to go back to Kodiak and do a November blacktail hunt in the rut. I, I've hunted blacktails in Oregon a lot. And there, you know, growing up in Oregon, you wouldn't see a blacktail outside of November. They are 100% nocturnal 11 months out of the year. November noon, they will stand in the middle of the road and block your car. <laughs> so it would be a, it'd be a little intriguing to go. Um, and, and why I say that is the blacktails, all of them we harvested at the same elevation as the goats in the same places as the goats. And they were much more wary than the goats. They just don't, you know, they, they still acted like goats and they still went to places where, Goats would go when they're pressured, which is cliff faces, and they hung out and fed adjacent to those cliff faces. But if you got on the ridge between where they were feeding and where they were going to go for safety, you kind of got in their path. And the deer weren't so. They they were more like ghosts, for sure. We'd get, and part of it was the ground is very, um, the ground is comprised of a lot of shale boulders that has enough water that the moss grows on top of. But as you're walking, you're making this drumming thumping sound. And I, I don't know what it is, but you, they definitely would pick up on that, that noise vibration from a lot further away and just, just be gone. So there's a couple blown stalks that we, we saw on those deer and they, they picked us up and spotted us at about 800 or a thousand yards and 
they left the whole basin they were in. So the deer in August for goats, it was it was a challenge for sure. So tell me about your goat. How did that play out when you actually made your harvest? What was the approach like and how, how did it go? So I'll, I'll let everybody know I didn't get it done with a bow and that was the goal. Um, I was the last one to fill my goat tag and I I weighed the options of coming home without a goat or getting one and I decided to uh, abandon the bow and switch to the rifle. We were second to last hunt day before the plane was coming. I was at 70 yards from a billy bedded, was creeping in with a white paint suit and a decoy and some nannies were just behind it and they didn't like it. Nanny bedded with a kid. And so, you know, we're at 90 yards and then we're at 70 yards and then they all kind of spooked and they're in a big group. And as they spooked off that mountain, you'll see it in the GoPro footage. They run right by the other cameraman and my brother. And when I mean they ran right by, they ran within about 10 yards. All of them. (laughs) My brother had to stand up and wave his arms so they didn't run him over. And that was because they were running away from me, but they're running right on the spine. I had uh, borrowed my father's rifle to go up on that stock. And he stayed right there while I was attempting the stock. And they turned around and they they're piling off that mountain. And so I quickly harvested a goat. And it was it was a little chaotic. It was a little quick. The uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is is my brother uh, got his goat day two of season, and we showed up four days before the season just the way it worked out. So, you know, it was day six of our 16-day hunt. My dad also, five minutes later, shot a goat out of the same group. They both got really nice nine-and-a-half-inch billies. I think one's nine, one's nine-and-a-half. And, you know, then we hunted and hunted and hunted. We had to haul those down, get them flown out, get them taken care of, and get back up. And we had to dry gear in the process. And so you're, you're two days from where we harvested the goats to where the plane was picking us up. A day and a half, but I mean, realistically, by the time you said, okay, we're going to go meet the plane, leave and come back, it's a, it's a three day turnaround. So we did that, like I said, three times we harvested six critters. My harvest was second to last day and it was a, it was a little chaotic. It's going to be on the film. So it's, I'm, I'm excited when it comes out and we get to see some of the footage I did have about a 40-yard opportunity with my bow, but they were all grouped up, and I just couldn't cleanly pick one out. And so the hardest part was the weather. You know, there was lots more days that we were on goats, and then the fog would roll in, and we were pretty much done for the day. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about the weather. So, I mean, that's just that's part of hunting. That's part of fishing. That's just part of life. And I can imagine their visibility is just so important. I mean, you, you gotta be able to see what's going on and otherwise you're going to like stumble literally on top of them. So we had a, a 75 mile float plane ride to get from town to our drop off spot. And we opted the, the air taxi company could either take us in four days after season opened or four days before season opened right so we were four days prior four days post and i was like i don't want to be four days late to the to the show and being that i've never done it before doing it now knowing the goats go when you want to go there there's lots of goats on the island and yeah they'll be pressured but 
you you put some put some miles on you'll get on some goats for sure but we wanted to make sure that we had enough time to accomplish the goals of getting three goats on the ground and we actually had four goat tags in camp and dad had the second one and we all decided that we weren't going to kill a fourth one because well backpacking goat meat out of (laughs) kodiak (laughs) island is not an easy task by any means i would i'd love for them to change the law to where you can transport gay men people and hunters by helicopter because if you could just sling one of those under a helicopter sure but no it was a it was a great trip. It was an epic trip. Getting that close into goats is is fun. So I showed up a day early for the float plane ride to Kodiak Island, got a few last-minute uh, pieces of gear, and then, you know, that there, there's logistics there that you don't really think about is I had three, um, three suitcases. I had my bow case, I had a dry bag, and then I had a suitcase. And packing for the plane versus packing for the float plane versus actually hunting, right? You So you when you're hunting, you've got it in. I took my Kafaru with the hoodlum, and I had it pretty well maxed out. There's actually a video on our social of me with the goat using the bow spider with my camp. So I got half a goat and my bow and my camp, right? And it's it's a lot of gear, but you can't pack that bag and put it on the plane that way. So all that gear's got to go in other bags. And so there's kind of the whole trip was a continual gear shuffle. That's what I felt like is every day it was, okay, this gear goes from here to here to here and got to get it out, stow it, unstow it. And you're talking, I didn't leave my sleeping bag. I left the tent up when we go hunting. We spike camped up and then we go out two mile hikes and go hunt. I didn't dare leave my sleeping bag out because I don't want to come back. That's, that's all I got that and a puffy coat. So, and I take the puffy with me. So I'm, I would get up every morning and stuff my sleeping bag in a trash bag and then stuff it in a stuff sack so that I knew when I come back that night, cause I was going to be wet. At least I had a dry sleeping bag, but I had that day from when the commercial plane landed before we got on the float plane. Then we had three full days of bear viewing, getting some drone footage, hanging out, prepping so all all my gear had to come out of the bow case and and the suitcase into the backpacking so you've got kind of this continual gear shuffle and you're you're definitely you're building up anticipation what was really cool is we had to take two planes in and out we got a party of five the plane only holds four so i rode in on the first plane and pulled the spotter out didn't even worry about hauling gear setting camp up and i had mountain goats spotted from camp 15 minutes after landing on the beach. So that was, you know, that was a definitely a, a good morale boost for everybody. The next day we, that was a sunny day. We got in the next day was rainy and a whole bunch of people, the pilots were backed up for the next week because it rained and was so bad they couldn't fly. So, you know, they're, they're scheduling two or three groups going out every day. Well, they can't fly for two or three days. They're two or three days behind. You need to anticipate that when you roll into Kodiak, you might get to spend two or three extra days there. And then on the same side of it, the, the pilot was halfway joking, halfway not. He got one group out and Kodiak was getting socked in. He's like, make sure you guys keep enough gear. It might take me another day or two to come back and get you. And we're already... <laughs> 
tired of backpack food on day 16 <laughs> and I was uh, ready for a, a hot shower. And there's something about these expedition style trips that until you actually go do one, it, it's hard to describe the the preparation, the anticipation, the excitement, but also the level of just commitment. Cause you've got, you know, I, you've got rainbow trout on Boyson, right? And you're going to take the kids and you've got to get the gear. And some of that same gear is what you would use for golden Dorado. But the, the travel, the remoteness, the newness, and just the extreme of, you know, it's it's pretty, I guess, commonplace for you to go catch some rainbow on on your local stream, pond, whatever, right? Talk about let's go catch rainbow in New Zealand, right? The and it's still the same fish, right? And so there's there can be a little bit of nuances of how to learn a new system and and not a new species, but at least a new habitat. And so getting to experience that new habitat for the first time is is half the reason I go on these expedition trips. It's, it is to see the critters and, and get after them, but it's also just to experience a new habitat that you've never been in before. So what did you do with the mountain goat? So mountain goat is here in the freezer. That was a, that was a little tough. Not my bad on my part, but I scheduled... Our float plane out at 3 p.m. and my commercial flight at 5 a.m. So I, you know, had an evening to kind of run around town, get to the taxidermist, get to the butcher, get dinner and then get a hotel. And I got up pretty early and I flew home with as much as I could. And then I shipped the rest with a processor on Kodiak. So that was a little bit expensive and that's one thing you definitely need to, and we had planned for and, and definitely had a contingency plan there, but I would have in hindsight probably added one more day so that I could have done all my own meat processing, had time to go get my own boxes and then just paid the airline to have a fifth or sixth box because having them air freight, my meat down from Kodiak was, uh, well, the, the shipping bill was like 495 bucks. So that would have been, you know, an extra two bags on the plane would have been a hundred bucks a piece. So I could have saved 300 bucks by spending an extra day on Kodiak on the back end. Kind of, I guess not prepping, but taking <laughs> care of a few last minute chores. So there's, there's learning curves to all of it for sure. Uh, gear wise, I was really satisfied with the gear I took. I took Maven. I took some pretty good tripods. You know, we had Sitka for our camo. We had Kenetrex for boots. I had Hilleberg. I did take a down bag. I'm, it's a mountain hardware bag, but I didn't have one night. One issue was either I was in it in a dry tent or it was in a garbage bag in a stuff sack safe, right? So... And I opted for the down bag because it's a little warmer bag I had. And my synthetic bag has kind of grown legs. I haven't quite found that yet. I have a 20 degree synthetic, a 10 degree synthetic, and then I have a zero down. And so on that trip, I didn't want to, you know, if we could have got a freak storm and been down in, into snowy weather, I wanted to have something I could 
definitely stay warm in. So gear wise, you know, it's a continual refining. It's, it's, it's like fishing poles and rears and lures and, and cases. It's, it's always, there's always, you can always refine it a little bit, but there wasn't one thing I was like, Oh man, I wish I would have had this. The, uh, I had a ultimate predator mountain goat decoy on the front of my bow and that Billy looked up at it. You guys will see it on film at 90 yards. And we kind of knelt down for a second and I've looked at it and I decided that the way the wind was blowing, I just wasn't going to make that shot. I know other people might've, and could I potentially maybe, but it was, it was beyond my comfort zone for sure. And the, I looked at the train of, I thought I could get closer and it didn't work out that way. I still got a goat, got it with a rifle. It's about a 220 yard shot out the ridge. That same group about 10 minutes later, it got a little chaotic and we started pushing them harder. I don't think with the way they spooked that there was any chance of just sitting down for 20 minutes, letting them calm down. They were, they were leaving the country for sure. Probably the hardest part of the whole deal is, uh, got my goat, got it down and I shot it right on the spine of a ridge and it uh, proceeded to roll off the mountain. It went 800 yards. Jeez. <laughs> now, it was in ferns. If it had been a little more rocky, it would. It was still pretty broke up, and taxidermist is going to have a little work to do. I'm excited to get it, but it was same thing. My brother actually spined his and dropped it right on the, right on the top of the mountain. It didn't move. My dad's, uh, <laughs> it'll be on the film too, it did six or 700 yards off the top of the mountain and it, it's a long, steep. Tenderized the meat, I guess. That's probably why it's so good. Maybe. <laughs> no. So there's, there's lots of lessons. Um, thoughts for people wanting to do an expedition style hunt. You know, not all of them have to be guided. There's definitely some Alaska hunts for sure. There's even some lower 48 hunts that you could definitely make into an expedition style backpack hardcore hunt where you don't have to be guided for per se right now the the expense is going to go up the yeah, taking your your flannels or your wool and just hiking from your truck for an hour is expedition style you need you need the right pack you need the right optics uh, boots are a must because we're we're not doing a ton of miles. I think, you know, like a typical elk trip, I'm going to do between 100 and 200 miles in a 12-day period. I don't even think we touched 40 miles on this trip. But the alders were so insurmountable. It just There was times where I was pushing two and three alders apart to just try and get one more step, and they're grabbing your legs, and, you're, it's, and you just mentally trying to once you got out of the alders I was you could zoom anywhere around you want on the mountains and once you got up on the spine of the ridge there's a nice goat trail just up and down the spine now there's a couple pictures of you know you trip and fall left or right you're gonna roll a long ways before you stop walking up the spines of these and they're maybe five feet wide right and the trail's a foot wide in the middle of this five foot wide ridge so that's you get a little bit of vertigo for sure that these goats are living in places that are pretty hard to access for sure. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. And before we go on with the podcast, I want to talk about bow spider. Um, I know you guys have, it's been another busy year and the holidays are coming up. And so 
if someone has the idea to get, you know, a bow spider packing system for their family, tell us what they can expect from bow spider here around Thanksgiving. We got colors. We're going to have some pretty cool giveaways. Watch our social medias for that. Um, you know, it, it is a great time and it's a great gift to get for that bow hunter in your life that you're like, I don't know what to get them. If they don't have a bow spider, I've got a lot of customers that absolutely swear by it on the backpack. I got some that won't use it on a backpack, but absolutely swear by it on the headrest of the truck. There's nine, nine out of 10 chance your bow hunter is going to find a, a use for our product. Yeah, so go to bowspider.com, follow him on the socials so you know kind of what's going on for his special holiday deals that are coming up. And uh, yeah, get your hands on one of those. I also want to talk real quick about PK lures because it's almost ice fishing season and PK is known for their ice fishing equipment, especially the PK spoon, PK flutterfish. Go to pklure.com, check those out. And then one of my favorites is the Predator. And they also have that in the tungsten. So if you're going for like small panfish, things like that, like, you know, your yellow perch, your crappie, your bluegill, check out the PK Predator and the tungsten. Those things will absolutely whack the fish. And one of the best ice fishing lures of all time is the flutterfish. It is, it is dynamite. Uh, my favorite colors, I can tell you right now, red dot glow is number one. The fire tiger glow is number two. And I like the gold, copper, and nickel plate as well. I mean, they, they all shine in different ways. Yes, there was a pun for you. Um, but go to pklure.com. You can get a hold of those and get ready for ice fishing season, which is what I'm gearing up for. But so now that you've done the mountain goat trip, you got another blacktail. What's next? What's on the, what's on the list? What are, you, what are you hoping to knock out this next year? Well, well, we'll always see what the draw puts in, and I'm putting in for sheep. Definitely, I, I would like to get continue on the slam. Uh, moose is actually climbing the climbing the pedestal pretty quick, and it's it comes down to I never set out for this, Patrick. Of you know, there's there's the Super Ten Slam, and then there's the North American Grand Slam, and I'm honestly too away from <laughs> the slam now. Right now. Half of it's archery, half of it's rifle, but I'm I'm not that prejudiced. I, I use what works, right? I don't care if we're fly fishing or if we're spinner fishing. I just want to catch fish. I just want to mm-hmm. go hunting. So, right. you know, I did a, a really cool mule deer hunt, and I have a, a goal. So I'll be, I'll be looking to chase another mule deer. But as far as expedition style, there's a, there's a dove hunt coming that I think is going to be pretty cool, and that'll be South America. I, I am looking forward to that. We got to get that scheduled and booked. But the only other one that I really foresee would be a like a moose grizzly bear combo. Are you thinking like Alaska? I'm thinking a kind of a cast and blast Alaska. Little less uh, impact on my body and <laughs> maybe a little less successful, but maybe a little more rewarding. Of just there's a couple spots where a guy could do a a fly in float out kind of cast and blast and I'm getting to the point where you know I've, I've got to do a lot and I'm very thankful and some of these harder hunts might might not be as appealing like like another goat hunt like with the way we did it six six critters down in in 16 days 
it was it's a tall order. Physically, I haven't quite recovered. Like I told you, I took, I probably fell a dozen times, and most of them were just a trip or a stumble. But there was that one fall that, you know, you you start <laughs> as you age, you start looking at things a little differently, and that's that's something. I mean, it could have been a, a lot worse if it had been steeper, or you know, so. There, there's there's that aspect of how how hard do you want to push your body and and how far do you want to go and I'm I'm a big proponent of I'm I'm going to keep pushing I'm going to keep going on trips but you know we we did Africa and we did Alaska and then I did Wyoming and Montana this year so next year it'll probably just be Alaska and South America <laughs> well least you got to go it's pretty awesome you know it's it's a year you'll never forget and you got to do some really fun things so it's exciting and another exciting thing that we need to talk about is we're almost at 100 episodes can you believe that no (laughs) it's hard to believe that you know we started this in november of 2019 and we're almost to 100 episodes now man we're now november of 22 so and it doesn't been, feel like it's been that long. I know. It's it's crazy, but it's fun and hopefully those of you who are still out there listening are enjoying it and those of you who are just now finding it, hopefully you'll go back and see all the work that we've done. Um a lot of great guests, a lot of really cool topics and you know, I think we've got a lot more to do yet. Well, if if somebody out there, I mean, we couldn't do this without you guys, so I appreciate it. But if somebody out there is listening, going, they've got a, well, let's let's hear from you guys. Who do you want to hear from? You know, we can, we're going to reach out and get some good guests lined up. We've got a couple lined up, but you know, number one hundred's coming up. I think we gotta we gotta do something. Right? Yeah, we'll do something for it. And if you want to give us feedback, go to our Facebook page. We also have Radcast Outdoors Nation, which is our Facebook group. And that's just a group for folks that listen to the podcast. So go there, tell us what you think. And yeah, we'll see what we can figure out and line up. I, I've brought on a lot of guests that were listener requests, you know, so it's not like this would be a first time. No. <laughs> We've done a lot of that already. I mean, obviously David and I are going to bring on people we want to talk to, but also, we've brought on a lot of people that our guests wanted us to bring on. So, Well, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you want to know some more about Bowspider, bowspider.com. High Mountain Seasoning is pretty easy to get a hold of, and they are highmountainjerky.com. Mm-hmm. PK Lures is pklures.com. Patrick is 100% spot on that uh, Red Dot Glow is, yeah, no matter where you're going, just, just get one of those and throw it in your toolbox because... Uh, yeah, I've I've had a lot of success with Patrick out with a, a red dot glow. So other than that, if you want inquiries with uh, like uh, Blue Creek Outdoors, Joe Bartlett, that's pretty easy. He's on all the social medias at Blue Creek. And then I'm always open for, you know, if you got questions about what gear I used, why I used it, my opinion of it. You know, I'm by no means an expert, but I have used it a, a couple nights or 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 few and there's 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 some things out there that i definitely wouldn't have in my backpack and there's some things that i wouldn't go without yeah so get online check us out we would love to hear from you and we'll be back again with another episode of radcast outdoors thanks again for listening to the radcast outdoors podcast we hope that you've enjoyed the show if so please go to apple podcasts spotify 
or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.